Welcome to the podcast of Living Faith Fellowship in Klamath Falls, Oregon. Now, you will hear Pastor Rich preach the sermon, The Importance of Forgiveness, from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verses 25 through 33, and Matthew, chapter 18, verses 23 through 34. We pray that God would use this sermon to speak to you directly. And now, to Pastor Rich. Dr. Karen Swartz of the John Hopkins Hospital said about unforgiveness, there's a physical burden to being hurt and disappointed. Chronic anger puts us in a fight or flight mode, which results in numerous changes in our heart rate, our blood pressure, and catch this, even our immune response. Those changes then increase our odds of depression, heart disease, even diabetes, among other conditions. Forgiveness calms our stress levels, leading to improved health. She also said, forgiveness is not just about saying the words. It's an active process where you make a conscious decision to let go of negative feelings, whether, catch this, whether the person you're forgiving deserves it or not. And as you release that anger and resentment, you begin to feel empathy and compassion towards the person who wronged you. Studies have found out that some people are naturally more forgiving than others. These people tend to be more satisfied with life and they have less depression, less anxiety, less stress and less hostility. But people who hang on to grudges, however, are more likely to experience depression post-traumatic stress disorder, as well as other health conditions. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as you open your Bibles with me this morning to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, as we continue in that verse-by-verse study. As you're turning there, real quick, let's catch up from last week. Last week, remember, Jesus cleansed the temple for the second time in his ministry, and we learned some lessons about the fig tree. The temple went from being a place where people were invited to meet with God to being a mockery as the religious leaders used it to line their own pockets. And so as Jesus witnesses the abuse of his kids, he flipped over tables and chased out the money changers. That heart of the shepherd within our Savior recognized his sheep being abused and he was not going to stand for it. And he had righteous anger. These folks were hindering his people. Then we spoke about the roots of the fig tree and we said the withered fig tree was a picture again of Israel producing no fruit. Their roots had withered away because they had a disconnection from the true and living God. And as they disconnected from God, they died from the roots up. And we said as Christ followers, our roots have to go deep into the heart of God in order to have that connection. We finally learned about the kind of faith that works. And we said, faith is not a force. Faith is trusting God and taking him at his word. Jesus taught that the mountain-like issues in our life, that getting God's way can go away because he is able. And so today, Jesus is going to teach about forgiveness. And we're also going to see his authority, catch this, his authority as the king of the kingdom. He's the king, his kingdom, he has all authority. So if you have your sermon notes there in your bulletin, Roman numeral one, forgiveness affects prayer. Forgiveness affects prayer. If your Bibles are open, Mark chapter 11, let's look at verse 25. 
Jesus' words in red, and he says, Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. What a sobering passage, because at face value, and stay with me here, it seems to communicate that if I am unwilling to forgive someone, then God the Father will not forgive me. If that's the case, I think everyone in this room is in danger of losing their salvation. I'm just taking a guess. Many have concluded by reading this passage that somehow then our salvation is conditional on our forgiving others. That's kind of what it sounds like. But we have to take this in proper context, not only in the passage we're reading, but in Scripture as a whole. Because we know that that's not what Scripture teaches. Titus 3, 5, Paul said this, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So there in your notes, Mark 11 is not teaching that our eternal destiny is contingent on forgiving others, but it teaches that our relationship and prayer life with God can be hindered if we do not forgive others. Scripture is very clear that the Lord forgives us our sins and makes us children of the Most High God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ's finished work on the cross alone, and not by works at all. So this cannot be teaching that, otherwise Scripture is conflicting with Scripture. You see, if we are in Christ, He has forgiven us. And here's the thing. If you are in Christ, and since he has forgiven you, how in the world can you reconcile holding on a grudge to somebody else? If you've been forgiven, surely what you did to the Lord is huge compared to what someone else has done to you. Paul also said in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Now, let's take a time out really quickly. Grew up in a dysfunctional family. I've told you my testimony several times. There was lots of abuse, every kind you can imagine within my family. I am by no means discounting the abuse that has happened within your life. And I am by no means saying that if you're being abused or you have been abused, that that was okay it is not. We'll get into that more in the message. So hold tight. Don't shut your brains off because it sounds like I'm saying that I am not. Okay, commercial break over. There in your notes. Keeping forgiveness from others will cause a person to miss the joy of grace as they refuse to extend grace to others because unforgiveness causes bitterness and can bind a person up. Last week, Jesus said the miracle of the fig tree happened by faith. And just as a lack of faith can hinder prayer life, a lack of forgiveness is a huge obstacle in your prayer life as well. Forgiveness is an area, by the way, that takes great faith. I am by no means saying that forgiveness is easy. It is not. Otherwise, the Lord wouldn't have preached on it so many different times. 
But sometimes unforgiveness can be the biggest mountain in your life. Remember last week, Jesus was talking about faith can move mountains. Well, well sometimes unforgiveness is the huge mountain that no one wants to talk about in their life. Whether it be by divorce or someone did you wrong or someone cheated you or whatever, someone abused you, whatever it is. That huge mountain now is in your life and it's getting in the way of your relationship with the Lord. Notice what Jesus said. Whenever you stand praying, if you have something against anyone. So here's the thing. You go to pray and by the Holy Spirit, God puts on your heart. Hey, you haven't taken care of business with this person stop, get on social media, get on the phone, whatever it is, and call that person. If that person has abused you and there's no communication there, great, put it in a journal, write a letter, do something else, but go and take care of that issue and then come back and finish your prayer with the Lord. Paul said in Romans 12, if it is possible, catch this, as much as depends upon you, live peaceably with all men if it's possible, as much as it depends on you. So you go to the person and say, hey, I want to reconcile, and they tell you pound sand and drive a doom buggy over it. (laughs) Well, okay, then as much as it's possible with you, you've done your part. Forgive them. Notice, if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespass. When Jesus was speaking of the woman who broke the alabaster jar and put the fragrant oil over his feet, he said these words in Luke 7, 47. I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. You see, the forgiven heart, if you've been forgiven much, you will love much. It isn't have I been forgiven much? It's do I realize that I have been forgiven much? Because all of us that are in Christ have been forgiven much. Okay. And so the heart that's been forgiven much and recognizes it will automatically want to pass on that forgiveness. And again, a lot of the sin in our life gives us heart problems and heart conditions. And the person we're really hurting is us. You know, there's so many people who we have hold on to grudges to, they don't even know or they don't even care. And it's our own heart. It's our own prison. You know, it's like holding on to unforgiveness is like having a tumor in your life and ignoring it and never getting medical contact, you know, to get it taken care of. That's the same thing. And having this unforgiveness, what I have found out in my life, and maybe your life is different, but what I have found out, when I hold on to unforgiveness, I'm allowing a bitter root to grow within my life. And unfortunately, that bitter root gets fertilized and watered, and it pretty soon turns into a bitter plant, and pretty soon it's a bitter tree, and now it's written all over me, because I've allowed a bitter root to start, and I've never taken care of it. You're probably different. But when we forget how much we've been forgiven of, then we can't forgive others. There in your notes, we discover the worst prison we can find ourselves in is the one of our own creation by choosing not to forgive. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a choice to live free or to dredge up that past hurt over and over and over again and relive it and relive it and relive it and relive it. God has forgiven us such a great debt. How could we hold back on forgiving others? You know, one thing about the Lord I love, you know, he's all-knowing. 
right? He's present everywhere. He's all-powerful. He can do anything. But one thing the Lord does that just amazes me is he chooses not to remember our sins. And I'm like, why would you do that? Hebrews 8, 12. For I will be merciful to the unrighteous, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. When you're in Christ, your sins are cast as far as the east is from the west, and he chooses to remember them no more. Why? Because of his great love. And no one, no one in the whole world can possibly offend me as much as my sin offended God. It's impossible. So the point of this passage is we cannot have a dynamic prayer life and relationship with the Lord as long as we're holding on to bitterness. And so there are times, I don't know about you, but if you've been in the situation, there are times when I'm going through a situation, if I have something against somebody, I pray for that person more than I pray for my own kids, grandkids, family, anybody else. Because daily, I have to go to the throne room of grace and bring that person before and daily let it go. And then an hour later, hourly, on and on it goes. Maybe you're different than me, but I can hold on to a grudge. And I know it's part of the flesh and it's not pleasing to the Lord. All right, so Roman numeral two. Jesus' authority was questioned. Look at verse 27. Then they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you the authority to do these things? Can you just hear the arrogance here? The arrogance. There in your notes. The day after Jesus cleansed the temple, the king arrives at the temple, his own royal house, once again. The Lord said in 1 Kings 9, 3, I have consecrated this house which you have built to put my name there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there forever. Think about this. This is Jesus Christ, the owner of all things, God Almighty, the King, and he walks into his temple. And these religious hypocrites have the nerve, the audacity to say, who gave you authority to do this here? You know God's full of grace because I ought to burn these guys right where they stood. <laughs> But in the same narrative in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, we're told that Jesus actually went to the temple to teach and preach the gospel, the good news. So Jesus is there spreading good news and the religious leaders are there spreading hate. And so they asked the king, imagine this, they asked the king who gave him authority to be there. In other words, what the religious leaders are saying is, we have the authority here, Jesus, you don't. Now, at first glance, you would say, well, they kind of had a duty to make sure whatever was being taught in the temple was right. That was their kind of duty. But we've already seen their motivation previously. We know that their motivation is different. Back in verse 18, it says, the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him. Catch this, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. So they know who Jesus is. There's no question. There in your notes... James Edwards said, in the most authoritative place and before the most authoritative body in Israel, Jesus opens a window of understanding into his own authority. 
And Jesus wasn't there to debate these guys, right? He's at the temple to teach and preach the good news. The ability to have your sins forgiven. And true to form, these religious leaders, all they want to do is fight. They want to have a battle of wits. And they've come unarmed. They want to fight the king. There in your notes, the day before this scene, Jesus knew what was awaiting him later in that same week. But he still went to Jerusalem, drove out the corrupt merchants from the temple courts. And here he is the next day at the same temple. And the chief priests and scribes got their clock cleaned yesterday. And they want to know, what right do you think you have, Jesus? I mean, this is a whole level, you know, of arrogance that I've never seen before. And so Roman numeral three, I love how Jesus does this. He answers them with a question. Look at verse 29. But Jesus answered and said to them, I will ask you one question, then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or was it from men? Answer me. I love how he does that. You know, Jesus was often questioned throughout his earthly ministry by, you know, the religious leaders, by seekers, even his own followers at times. But the religious leaders with their ulterior motives, and remember, Jesus knows the intents of the heart. This is what's so scary. They go to Jesus, and he already knows the intent of their heart. There in your notes, when Jesus spoke, he spoke as one as having authority, unlike the religious leaders of his day. Jesus spoke with God's authority because he is God in the flesh. What they're trying to do is set a trap. Get him to say something wrong or get him to break the Mosaic law. Then we can set a trap on this guy. But again, Jesus knows the motivation of their heart. And so he answers them with a question. I love how Jesus does that. Vizzini in the movie Princess Bride, maybe you remember he has a battle of wits with Wesley. Do you remember that scene? And he was no match for Wesley. And neither are these religious leaders, Right inconceivable. I don't think they understand. <laughs> and so Jesus says, I have one question, just one. And if you'll answer me, I'll tell you by what authority I do this. Just one question. The question, the baptism of John, John the Baptist, did it come from heaven or did it come from men? Warren Wiersbe said this, why did they take him all the way back to John the Baptist? For a very good reason. Catch this. There's some practical application here. God does not teach us new truth if we have rejected what he's already taught us before. Ouch. You see, the Lord wants us to believe and act upon the things he's already revealed to us. So the answer, I guess, would be if we are stuck spiritually, maybe it's because we have not acted on what God's already revealed to us. You see, the Pharisees refused to receive John the Baptist's baptism. So Jesus wants to reveal their disobedience. Tell me, did it come from God or does it come from men? John 7, 16, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether I speak on my own authority. F.W. Robinson said, obedience is the organ of spiritual knowledge. 
See, here's the thing. If they say John the Baptist came from God, then Jesus would say, why then didn't you obey him and get baptized by him? Why then did John call me Messiah and you say I am not? If it came from God, why aren't you obeying? If they say what came from John came from men, the crowd is going to kill them because they all thought that John the Baptist was a prophet come from God. There in your notes, if what John the Baptist said before he was executed was true, then Jesus had all authority over the temple, the word of God, and over their lives as well. And again, if they would not say it came from God, the people are going to be furious. But here's the thing, Luke 12, 48. For everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. So again, what has God given you already? There are people who have heard the gospel and they even believe it, but they won't act upon it. And you go, why won't God reveal more of himself? You know, if God would just come down out of the clouds and show himself, then I would believe. He did and you killed him. If God would just this and I would believe. No, you wouldn't because God has given you all you need already to trust and believe him and you won't so they're caught in a trap like elvis would say roman numeral four caught in a trap <laughs> verse 31 and they reason among themselves saying if we say from heaven he will say then why didn't you believe him but if we say for men they feared the people, for all counted John to have been a prophet indeed. So they answered and said to Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus answered and said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So imagine this scene again for a moment. Here's the creator God come in the flesh to Israel. The God who owns everything. The God to whom they built the temple for, by the way. He's standing right there in the midst of them. And again, the audacity of asking him where his authority comes from. And this is only the beginning of questions. As we go through the rest of Mark, they're going to question him and question him and question him. And they're going to try and gain enough evidence here to have him executed. And again, instead of giving him a straightforward answer, Jesus asks them a question. There in your notes, F.W. Robinson again said, it was not a dodge but a home thrust that cleared the air and defined their attitude both to John and Jesus. They rejected John as they're now rejecting Jesus. And so notice what they do faced with this question. They huddle up and discuss, okay, what are we going to say? What are we going to do here? And this is a lose-lose question for them, right? They have nothing to gain. And so maybe that was the best answer. And they say, you know, if we say from heaven... And why didn't we obey? But if we say for men, you know, these people are going to be mad. And they try to trap Jesus and Jesus turns them around on their heels and traps them. I love that. And we do not know is their response. Can I tell you a secret? There is no middle ground when it comes to Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, you're either with me or against me. There's no middle ground. We do not know. No, no, you're making a decision. Are you going to follow Christ? Well, I don't know. You just gave me the answer. That's right. You said no. Well, no, I didn't. Oh, yes, you did. 
And that's exactly what they did. And they're more concerned about trying to win a debate than knowing the truth. The truth's right in front of them. And William Barclay said this whole story is a vivid example of what happens to men who will not face the truth. They have to twist and wiggle to the end and get themselves into a position where they can't say a word. There in your notes, if we want answers from Jesus, we have to accept the truth that's already been revealed to us. We don't get to manipulate God's word to fit our own agenda. These men knew who John the Baptist was, which proved who Jesus is. You know, while praying to the Father, Jesus said in John 17, sanctify them by their truth. Your word is truth. There in your notes, it's much more difficult to face the truth and admit that we're wrong, which forces us to conform to the truth. But clinging to the truth is the only path to the abundant and eternal life with Christ. Do me a favor and flip on over to Matthew chapter 18. As a way of practical application, we're going to use Matthew 18 I said already that just as a lack of faith is an obstacle to effective prayer, refusing to forgive someone or holding on to bitterness can hinder our prayers as well. Unforgiveness can mess with our mental and our physical health as well. As a way of practical application, Matthew 18, look at verse 23. Jesus told this parable. Matthew 18, 23, the words of Jesus in red. He said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had that payment might be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Same thing he told his master. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So let's talk about what this parable teaches real quick. How enormous was our debt to Christ? How enormous was God's forgiveness towards us? What a small thing what people do to offend us in light of our sin. Final thing it teaches is how the life of the forgiven should live and forgive. Again, Dr. Schwartz, forgiveness is a choice. You're choosing compassion and empathy to the person who wronged you. So John Hopkins' website offered some steps to help develop a forgiving attitude and have better emotional and physical health. And I just want to really quickly go over them as a way of practical application. First one, they say, reflect and remember. This includes 
how I reacted to the person and what they did to me and how I've been since. The second one is empathize with the other person. They go on to say, if your spouse grew up in an alcoholic home and they have anger over someone who has one glass of wine, realize their background and the baggage they came in with and empathize with them. The next one is forgive deeply. Surface forgiveness will not work in your heart. The next one I really like, let go of all your expectations. If you don't get an apology from the person who offended you, you have to give it to God. I love how my wife says this. Compared to the amount of forgiveness God has given me, I take that hurt and I lay it at the feet of Jesus and I say, Jesus, I'm putting it on your account. I owe you so much. I'm putting that hurt on your account. So let go of expectations. Decide to forgive. Again, forgiveness is a choice. It's a choice. Here's the thing. Again, I'll go back to that person in the abuse. Sometimes you've got to put up proper boundaries. There's been this physical or emotional or sexual abuse in your life, and you cannot ever have anything to do with that person ever again in that case. Okay, I understand. Put up proper boundaries. Write them a letter. Write it in a journal. Whatever you got to do, but let it go. Forgive the person. That doesn't mean you let them harm you again. Never does it mean that. But you got to let that stuff go. Here's an important one that a lot of us have a hard time with is forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. How many victims say it was my fault for putting myself in that position or it was my fault because of this or that or whatever? Hey, forgive yourself. It's time to move on. The act of forgiveness includes forgiving yourself. If you've made it right with the person you've offended, you've made it right with the Lord, then time to let it go and move on. God doesn't want you prisoner in your own defeat. The first servant in Matthew 18 his debt was so huge, and yet he didn't realize what he had been forgiven. You know, we can't extend mercy to others unless we realize how much we have been forgiven. In order to offer forgiveness, we got to let God's love flow into us and flow out of us into others. And let me give you the most important reason we're to offer forgiveness to other people. This is the most number one important reason is because who you are in Christ. Paul said in Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How much? Even as Christ has forgiven you. That's how much. One reason we resist forgiving others is because we don't understand how much it does to us mentally, physically, and spiritually. And if you stop to realize all the garbage it's doing to you, you'd let it go. And again, healthy boundaries. But realizing what God has forgiven us, we should never hold on to bitterness. You see, by holding on to unforgiveness, we miss joy of grace. We miss the peace that passes all human understanding. We miss all those things. And God never created us to be bound up any longer. 
We were freed from the bondage of sin, and now he wants us free from the bondage of unforgiveness. Just as a lack of faith is this huge obstacle to our relationship, so is unforgiveness. And again, can I just tell you that forgiveness takes great faith. I've had people say stuff to me I wouldn't say to my worst enemies. And if I were to take all that personally, how long do you think I would make it in ministry? And so, like my wife would say, I have to take that stuff and I have to look at Jesus and look at him with the scars in his hands and the scars in his feet and the scar in his side and say, Jesus, onto your account, I give this. You know what I found out about unforgiveness? I have found out that I want to hold on to that because it's mine and you can have it and I have a right to it. I hold on to this and I think somehow that I've gained something because I won't let it go and really who I'm hurting is me. And Jesus said, set the prisoner free and the prisoner you're setting free is yourself. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Every week there's those of us in the back who'd love to pray for you. This morning, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's happened to you in life, but I can tell you this world's a tough place. We live in a fallen world, so I'm sure there's some sin that has left some scars. We would love to pray for you. We would love to come alongside you. We would just love to just tell you about Jesus. And he wants to forgive you and he wants you to forgive them. Thank you for listening to Pastor Rich preach the sermon, The Importance of Forgiveness, from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verses 25 through 33, and Matthew, chapter 18, verses 23 through 34. Tune in next week as we continue the Gospel of Mark sermon series. You can also be part of our Sunday service in person or online every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Watch our live stream on our website, YouTube, or Facebook page. Our website is livingfaithclimath.com. That is livingfaithclimath.com. To find our Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram profile, simply search for Living Faith Fellowship Klamath. That is Living Faith Fellowship Klamath. You can also find these links in the description of this week's episode. If you want to show your appreciation, you can tell others about us, subscribe to our podcast, and you can also leave a review so more people can hear the Word of God. Thank you again, and God bless you.